the sewers. Known for being dark. Famous for being dirty. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why sewers are secretly incredibly fascinating. Folks, welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I am not alone because this is episode number 50 of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Episode 50, the first giant round number. I am so glad you are here, and I am so grateful to every one of you who participated in the membership drive in the run-up to episode 50. This show's community grew like never before. We hit multiple membership drive goals. There are now more benefits to being a patron than ever before. Also, today, the the day this episode releases, you should get a post in your Patreon feed with the special digital art commissioned for these 50 episodes. It's drawn by an amazing artist named Adam Coford. Please download. Please enjoy. It's, It's built to be fun to look at closely. So whatever your biggest screen or largest monitor is, that's probably the most fun way to see it. No matter how you look at it, I think it's great. I think it makes this even more of a party than it already is. You know, big, big anniversary, episode 50. And I swear we'll get into the episode in a sec. I just, I I said this at the start of the membership drive, and I'll, I'll say it again. The best part of this has been the joy of your comments about the show, and you're sharing it with people, and you're you're saying what it's meant to you this week, or this year, or, or anything in between. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating is still a pretty new show. It's existed for less than a year I am thrilled it already means something to people in that time. That That's really quick. This is everything I was hoping for with the podcast, and I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really, really grateful to you uh, that it can keep being the podcast it is. Anyway, you should, you should hear episode 50, I think, right? Because it's really amazing. It's Jack O'Brien and Jason Pargin on this show. You've heard Jack on episode 24 of this show about potatoes. I hope you've heard him any weekday on his podcast, The Daily Zeitgeist, and you've heard Jason on several episodes of this show, most recently episode 42 about air conditioning, so I hope you know he's a New York Times bestselling novelist. His most recent novel is titled Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick, written under his past pen name David Wong, and he's got more novels coming from there. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Jack recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. Acknowledge Jason recorded this on the traditional land of the Shawnee, Eastern Cherokee, and Saatsayaha peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And as I said, this 50th episode is about sewers. Sewers are a patron-chosen topic. Thank you very much to Caleb Pickering for suggesting that. It turns out sewers have amazing history, science engineering, stories, and so much more behind them. And, and I think this is the perfect podcast to get into that. We talk about why things are secretly incredibly fascinating. You don't need more setup than that, so please sit back or sit in a slight baseball catcher crouch because apparently that helps some folks poop. Unkink some stuff. 
Either way, here's this special 50th episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Jack O'Brien and Jason Pargin. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Jack O'Brien, Jason Pargent, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for doing this and for for providing stuff for the prep. I've already gotten to see what you think of it, but either of you can start. What is your relationship to or opinion of sewers? How do you feel about them? Uh, Not a fan, I think. Uh, (laughs) Despite all the research that you guys have put put forward, yeah, saying that Jason and I both provided uh, research for this document is a little disingenuous. I, I was like, I used to hang out in sewers when I was a kid, and Jason, meanwhile, like <laughs> did his uh, amazing research thing. But I am captivated by sewers. I think they're really fascinating for some reason. I think it was probably Goonies, uh, mostly when I was a kid, like the idea that there were these underground passages uh, going underneath your town that you could like go down and explore with your friends always really excited me. And so, uh, when I lived in Dayton, uh, Ohio, we, my friends and I would go climb around and, uh, I, I, later on, we'll be talking about the similarities between streams and like sewage systems. And that was true of us is that like some of them were definitely streams, like a stream that went underground in through a sewer like, pipe but then there were also like branching off like incoming water sources that uh, looked very (laughs) mossy and brown and i think i was playing in raw sewage is what i'm getting at Uh, so but i've always been fascinated by them how how scary was it to get into the sewer did it feel like you were like breaking into a thing or was it just hey come on in like a guy with a sign yeah, there there was actually a clown uh, with sharp teeth and a sign that was like, hey, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, you know, I got, I cut my teeth uh, just going in what I thought was pretty, pretty open to us, which was a stream that went through a sewer pipe. And then the only time it got scary was like when it got real narrow and you were like having to, like, I almost got stuck a couple of times. Oh no. Um, but for the most part, there was nobody, there's nobody down there policing it. And it seemed to me like a place where there hadn't been anybody besides me in like 30 years since it was built. Like it just seemed like there was like trash and leaves and me and my friends down there. Um, so I was never really worried about getting caught, uh, as much as getting stuck. And I should have been more worried about like flash flooding, uh, probably because that's you people drown all the time in waterways like that. Or or getting stuck is such a like Willy Wonka way to go. Man, oh man, <laughs> I'm really glad that didn't come to yeah, pass. And and like my parents would have never found me. <laughs> like nobody would have ever. It would just would have been like that kid disappeared. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have, as some of you know, no tolerance whatsoever for the modern discourse around, well, kids these days are too coddled and the parents, they, they helicopter over every, <laughs> every move. But Jack, you have yeah. how many children now? Two. Okay. Two boys. Is, yeah. are, is there an age when you'd be comfortable in this modern era letting them run off and just play in the sewer unsupervised? <laughs> just play in the sewer. It's funny. Uh I want to, I really want to force myself to be that way because it was such an important part of 
my childhood. Um, but then, so my co-host on the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray, had a similar upbringing, uh, except uh, L- the L.A. River is basically a giant sewer. You know, it's like a, it's the thing from Terminator 2 where it's like a concrete uh, giant like sewage canal. Um, yeah. And he used to, that's where he and his friends hung out and they like would hang out with, uh, you know, unhoused people who were like trying to who they witnessed smoking crack. Uh, and, uh, so I, I feel like LA might not be the spot for, for my <laughs> kids to just roam free. Um, but I want to find a way to like, yeah, give them that experience of just being like, all right, I'm, I'm gone for the next 12 hours. Hopefully I come back by dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I guess something about the sewer being in Dayton, when you were a kid it's just very <laughs> like i know it's not charming charming but it's like oh this is a medium speed sewer that any child can enjoy yeah it's not where they do drag races and shoot shotguns at each other in arnold movies yeah great there are like frogs down there and you know no no giant crocodiles or anything we're it's pretty pretty quaint but um, at the same time it's such a sharp contrast from my experience Growing up, because I grew up out in the country, a town of like 4,000 people, and the sewer was not a thing you like climbed down into. It's, you know, we were, right. this is rural enough that our house had a septic system, just a tank in the yard where the poop goes into. Uh, and so if someone came to fix it, they didn't like open a manhole and go down there. It's just buried in the dirt, and there's like a six inch pipe that goes to it. Yeah. But. In the salt man again, I did not grow up in extreme poverty. It was a normal house that you would like see in any eighties movie that like the I guess in those movies that's what the poor kids lived in, but it was one that was considered, <laughs> right. considered right. like a class. Molly Ringwald dump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We yeah. We did not have a second floor. Um but the one thing it the problem was that something, the the sewer main line, the septic tank, something had been installed improperly. Which meant every once in a while, and you never had any idea of knowing when, when you flushed the toilet, it would go the opposite direction and just dump the poop onto your feet uh, and onto the floor of the bathroom. Oh, man. Uh, It is possible that only one in a thousand flushes did it do this. But much like the slot machine, once it happens once, the, the, the randomness of, the, uh, of it is stuck in your brain, right? So you're holding your breath every time you flush from then on. Right. So I am one of the few people who does not take sewage for granted because as soon as you see it around your feet or, as on a couple of occasions, the feces has backed up into the bathtub. Because all of those drains are connected. It's all just one system of drains. It all leads, you know, all the wastewater from your dishwasher sink, everything just connects to a single line that runs out to wherever, uh, and, you know, your your sink, your whatever, and the bathtub is closest to the floor, so it would fill up first. And so you have poop in your bathtub. And it's not at all obvious how to get it out. And while you can call somebody to come help, they don't show up in 10 minutes. They may show up the next day. Yeah, right. uh, so this is a subject because I feel like a big part of my personality was formed by the fact that every time I flushed <laughs> the toilet, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You're playing a shit slot machine. <laughs> yeah. And to the point where I did not like to invite friends over to the house, because that is a thing mm. that you don't want to happen in a party or whatever. If you're trying to make a first impression, 
on a, a friend or a girl is to have, you know, poop start flying into the room. Because uh, that's a story <laughs> that I feel like would have gotten around school. Um, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, this was this is something of an emotional subject for me for <laughs> positive reasons, as we we're about to get into. Uh, Sorry, this is a clean podcast, isn't it? I apologize for I, saying the S word. It's also it's also the kind of thing where that's going to happen. You know, it's it's, it's a topic where yeah, yeah. there's literal dirt in it <laughs> right, and, right. and it's the way it goes. So it's yeah. all good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and Jason, that chances of like one in a thousand or whatever, I feel like that's even worse than it being consistent. That's such a psychologically difficult. Like if it's consistent, you're just like, okay, time to gear up for the bathroom. Like here's the shield or whatever I've worked out and here's how I do it. Like the, the random chance, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a big part of how they program games, right? Is that there has to be a randomness built in so that your brain can then try and like read and like graft some sort of uh like deservedness or like system on top of it but because there is none it can just like work itself into a a lather uh of just trying to find this the sample of the or the the symbol the system that like drives the whole thing the system that will create the maximum anxiety in your brain right. anticipating yeah. will this next pull of the lever be the yeah. one that lets me win. Only it's it, it, the opposite. What, yeah, it's the opposite. Because again, it, it's you are in your brain. It's like okay, you know, it's I'm cooking dinner or whatever in there. I'm gonna run to the bathroom, and you flush the toilet, and then suddenly there's poop all over the floor. Like your entire day has now changed. Your entire week has now changed. You have to clean that up. You have to figure out what to do with it. Then everything you were you had planned for that day is now gone. And your life now revolves around when can they come fix the, the toilet or whatever. Uh, again, I do not want to spread the impression that I lived in a place that was so poor that we had poop on the floor. This can happen to anybody. The issue is because of people listening, it's like, well, why didn't they just get it fixed? That tells me you have not had sewer problems at your home. It is unbelievably difficult to diagnose and fix those things because there are all these different points of failure. They spent thousands of dollars trying to fix it and i don't think it ever fully oh, got wow. fixed it's just the way it is so it's a good lesson for life there are some problems that just never get solved <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and you can have have the guy come out there and dig up the yard and lay a bunch of pipe and disrupt your whole world <laughs> and you can brush your hands and think yes it is finally fixed we've done it and sure enough the next 738 times you flushed a toilet. <laughs> Perfect. You have now put that problem out of your mind until one day on a right. Saturday morning when you're up <laughs> thinking you've got the day off and you flushed a toilet and it, the, instead of the water going down and the poop vanishing from sight, oh my God. it rebels and you realize, oh, my life <laughs> is a horror movie. I'm going to grow up and write horror for a living. There you go. <laughs> It's such a system that so many of us try not to think about at all. Like, if there's a problem, I feel like part of the pain in the ass is I have to think about this period. This is the worst. Right. I don't want to think about what, like, I want my toilet to be a magic portal and it just leads nowhere that I will ever encounter. Like, I, in the run up to this topic, realized that my, like, house in the Chicago suburbs I grew up in, I don't even know whether it was a sewer or a septic tank. Like, I'm, I'm just not sure. I never thought about it. No idea. Yeah. You never crawled down there? 
never never got under no. there and <laughs> explored with her friends. Uh, <laughs> I bet it was on a sewer. So I I think because uh so I I was just gonna say our um we have a little like garage apartment at our house and my parents were recently staying with us and the exact thing you're describing happened in because we have a septic tank like that that is just what happens to septic tanks there was uh poop in the shower um and oh the thing jason described where it fired the, back. the thing jason described wow. yeah yeah it fired back up into the shower uh and i think that's just what happened i think septic tanks are a worse uh option and you would know if you had one yeah, that that's probably what's going on. Would be my so guess. I, yeah. I'm like learning. I had a sewer. This is great. <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Somewhere again, Alex has in his inbox an email from me saying, "I want to be on the sewer episode." <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that? Can we do that for episode fifty? <laughs> this is why, yeah. because the fact that most people, hopefully, God willing, most people listening to this have never even thought about where it goes or where, couldn't tell you where their sewer line is, where their sewer line cleanout valve is, as I unfortunately knew very well where ours was that is great that is a tremendous literal privilege yeah uh yeah. And, and if if this episode makes you thankful for it for like 30 seconds we will have done our our service i think from there we can go into the numbers and the stats because on every episode our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics and this week that's in a segment called you can do it. Put your stats into it. I can do it. Put your facts into it. And, uh, that name. So much, so much flavor, so much stank on that. I can't tell what song that was supposed to be. That's fair. Set Put to. your back into it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ice Cube uh, from uh, Turn of yeah. the Millennium. Yeah. And uh, that name was submitted by Emma. Thank you, Emma. There's a new name every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SIFPOD on Twitter or to SIFPOD at gmail.com. Well done. As somebody who sings badly on his podcast every day, I just have to say that was, uh, it's truly the highest compliment when the first question is, what song was that supposed to be? <laughs> uh. And, uh, and the first number here takes us into the distant past. It is the 6th century BC. The, so the, the 500s BC, that is when the ancient Romans built the Cloaca Maxima in the city of Rome. The Cloaca Maxima was the first sewer system for that city, at least a major one. And that, that was the first sewer system, basically, that we know of, right? Yeah, I, I'll link stuff about ancient sewers, because from what I could find... Basically, any time humans have constructed a city of more than a few people, they figured out some kind of ancient sewer system to make it work because it's just the immediate first problem that you have to deal with. And uh, mm. the date of the Cloaca Maxima is significant because like the 500s BC is very early in Roman history. It's before the empire. It's before the republic. It's when it was a very small city with kings. And so one of back the... Back before Rome was cool. That's back when I liked it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah it was an indie city i don't know it's just an yeah. indie city I'm a, I'm a fan of uh and so they one of the first like huge buildings in this huge city of huge buildings was a large sewer system it also started as a storm drain and it's also to a limited extent still a functioning part of rome's sewer system a little bit of water still goes through it is there do you think that there's a reason that in zoology uh as a former zoo 
uh, <laughs> zoo guide that the Hang on, I'm, I'm putting my hat on. I'm putting my gear on. One sec. One okay. sec. One sec. Oh wow, that was that was amazingly quick. <laughs> I didn't know you had it just off off camera there. Yeah. That the sexual. It's a. I'll just read the description. A common cavity at the end of digestive tract for the re- release of both excretory and genital products in vertebrates. Um, yeah. It's probably a common derivation. Yeah, I believe the words come from the same thing because a because a yeah. cloaca okay. on an animal is kind of the the loose description is the one hole. Like if an animal has just yeah. one hole in the back, that's a cloaca, and it's it's yeah. where this Roman it, it was the one hole for Rome. There you go. But it's not also where they reproduced through, uh, which is the case for birds. <laughs> Romans did not reproduce through their sewer. <laughs> Yeah, here's hoping. Uh, yeah. yeah. The uh, next number here is a different year. It is 1867. And 1867 is the year when Paris started offering public tours of its sewers. And Smithsonian says Paris was the world's first city to do that, like official tours of the sewers, 1867. And one reason people wanted to go is that Victor Hugo's novel Les Mis came out in 1862 and had a bunch of scenes in the sewers of Paris. So people were like, oh, we got to do the like, like uh, Les Mis fantasy role play of going in the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> do we think that this was possible because like this was a, po- a popular thing because everything else smelled so bad at the time that they were just like, yeah, no, this is this is no big deal to go down and explore amongst the sewage. It, I, I would believe it. Like if the streets are already full of poop. You know, sure. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Why don't I go to the basement? Exactly. Oh, a different kind of poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a different poop smell. It's just, uh, it's novelty more than anything else. There's also a, a modern Paris sewer museum. It's called Le Musée des Egaux. And you can go see stuff about the the beginnings of the Paris sewer around the year 1200, when a king named Philippe Auguste put in the first drainage gutters of Paris. So and and I feel like any large major city there's a sewer history we won't cover all of them cuz there's uh, too many cities but it's a thing anytime people have built a huge city somebody somewhere did a sewer job to figure it out King Philippe Auguste Augusta and you can feel free to cut this from the podcast if it's wrong is he not the one who according to legend was pelted with flying feces that someone flung from their upstairs apartment and then that motivated him to install oh we'll drainage we'll leave this in if that's accurate that's amazing well, well somebody <laughs> check, yeah. check google king philip pelted with feces or i don't know what the exact phrase right. <laughs> uh, because there was like a whole uh, etiquette in the city around when to fling your feces out of the window in, in, into the sidewalk or whatever, which was just what people did until somebody installed drainage. Of all the things to go down as, like as your kingly legend, uh, <laughs> it's not like pulling a sword from a stone. It's uh, <laughs> Oh, that's the guy who got pelted with uh, human waste as he was procession uh, proceeding down the street i'm so sorry to interrupt i've pasted in a link yes that is the if you scroll down the article i just gave you for his name amazing legend has it that 12th century french king philippe auguste was covered in the contents of a chamber pot and decreed that all upstairs residents were obliged to warn pedestrians between before throwing out their wastewater 
because he was walking down the street, supposedly, and as was the custom, people just chucked their feces out of the window, splashed him, and then that's <laughs> allegedly is what uh, motivated him to reform the sewage in the, the city in, in general. That's man. I, it is not, it is not a fact that is legend because as we have found with our previous jobs, a lot of stuff that is in history like that, that's a little too like on the nose. It's because right. somebody just made it up. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> still an important point. Uh, cause there, ideally there should be like a Disney movie about that. <laughs> but this this is his origin story he was the sewage the sewage hero and this is what what set him on that path this was his call to action and the enchanted poop that hit his head and then like <laughs> inspired him and they like have a love-hate relationship but uh he keeps it with him yeah <laughs> yeah they'd have a song together yeah. Because of Jack bringing up the sword and the stone story earlier, I'm thinking of that style of Disney movie, like that cla- really classic <laughs> right. cell animated, like, <laughs> yeah, cute thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I am also glad we have democracy. I feel like a king only gets interested in his people's sewage when he gets hit with it in the face. And democracy, <laughs> there's more right. input from everybody. <laughs> And last number here is another year. This is 1854. And there there are whole podcasts and things about the story of this. But 1854 is the year of a cholera outbreak in London. And so the disease cholera breaks out. And many scientists and researchers of the time study it. A doctor named John Snow. It's spelled J-O-H-N. It's not the Game of Thrones guy. But John Snow traced the disease to sewage-contaminated water and those findings became famous and helped cities worldwide, especially London, start to build more effective sewers because they realized that, uh, you know, sewage laying around the city was getting everybody sick. And four years later, that would be the summer of stink when the entire city smelled like poo for an entire summer because they were just emptying their wastewater into yeah. the Thames. Um, yeah, a lot of world cities, yeah. and even closer to the modern day, like in Chicago, there just reaches a stage where it's like, okay, we're all pooping in the single river too much. We now <laughs> right. we now have to refigure out the city because yeah. <laughs> we used it up. That was the maximum. But this is, wow. uh, okay, and extremely important. 1854 is not very long ago. Yeah. It's hard to overstate how much the past stank. <laughs> In just a physical sense, when you're watching any kind of movie set back then, anything, I mean, especially talking about anything set in the medieval era or anything that's like a faux medieval era, like you mentioned Game of Thrones because of Jon Snow, anything like that where they're in kind of primitive conditions or even something like Lost where they're on an island where they're, they're living out in nature, this is the part of it, the one part of it nobody likes to think about or talk about, which is that if you have like a sprawling, if you got one person in the woods, fine, you can go dig a hole every time or you can go poop in a stream, whatever you get that many people into what are basically like starts to be the first, what we think of as modern cities, the kind of population density buildings that can be built that tall mm-hmm. where you've, where you got that many people all on top of one another the amount of waste that humans produced and the difficulty of getting it away from where the people are 
is incredible. And you also have to remember that it's not just human waste. This is before automobiles. So when you had a city back then, you had roads that were packed with horses, were packed with pigs that people were transporting from place to place because that's the, you know, just herd them together and whip them along the street. So yeah. you had feces just caked in the streets. And so when you see some movie set in the Victorian era or set in the you know American Revolution era or Civil War era or even going back as far as you want to go in ancient Rome and they're wearing like very beautiful clothes because costume designers love the era and these beautiful long flowing dresses and robes and everything else, you have to remember that element of it. That you're looking at something that is being shot on a sound stage. <laughs> Right, <laughs> And they do not, that is the part of the set they do not dress, which is just the piles of feces that is caked in the gutters and on the sidewalks. And in these, you know, the, these apartment buildings would have like a cistern they would dump everything into that were often overflowing onto the floor. And you'd have to wade into it to dump your poop in there from your bedpan that you hauled downstairs. That was the whole world until very, very recently. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in the the margins of the background of every story from that time, and just and even just as a a person, even a, even a king or in a wealthy country, you were thinking about handling your own poop and getting around and through other people's poop all of the time. It it was just yeah. going on for you, just snow drifts of horse. Uh, sorry, just yeah, snow drifts of horse poop, uh, yeah. like uh, going up to the second story of every building. It's yeah. Yeah, and without getting off onto a totally different tangent, the the fact that at this time that this guy was theorizing that the poop was what was making everybody sick, this was this is all the this is all the further back germ theory goes in terms of being like actually <laughs> right. nailing down. Oh, here's here's how we all got cholera. It's because of feces. Because they the miasma theory that that it was just like foul air of some kind that made people sick was still a thing back then. Yeah. It's still very much a debate. Not very long ago. Uh, this is a question people ask. is like, well, how were people not just like sick all the time? And the answer is they, they, they were. <laughs> Children <laughs> died constantly. Yeah. I, I'm not laughing at the child death. I'm laughing thinking about. <laughs> yeah, right, Alex. Like every, we know how you are, man. It's true. I love it. Uh, but <laughs> the, I love it. With the timing, I was, I'm thinking about. Now every scientist before 1854 is a lot less impressive to me. You know, like we talk about these guys <laughs> right. like, oh, he figured out gravity and geometry and yada da. But he was still like wondering if his poop was bad for him. You know what I mean? Like they they didn't like it, but they didn't understand the problem yet. It's amazing. Yeah, and you don't know if they'd liked it or not. <laughs> you can't make that judgment. <laughs> Aristotle was a freak. Um. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
the episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there, like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, and uh, Jason, what you bring up, that's, that's, I feel like this show could be 10 shows. Like, they're, they're, we're not really going to get into the illnesses that it causes if you don't have a good sewer or, or exactly how waste treatment works or anything. Uh, but we have some amazing takeaways about sewers in the past and present. And let's go into takeaway number one. Increased sewer access might be the biggest and best news of the past 30 years. It's There's just very good news, especially in the past 30 years. A lot more people have sewers and sanitation. And, and Jason, in particular, you brought this up because it's, you know, it's really exciting and nobody is fixated on it. It's this good thing. Yeah. And the number here is so shocking that I don't think it will properly register with listeners. Like I think yeah. when you, because there's a specific stat and you can deliver it if you want. Let's do it. Yeah. This is, there's a few sources you can go to, but one is UNICEF that in 2019, they said that since 1990, so 31 years ago, since 1990, more than 2.6 Billion people with a B have gained access to improved sanitation. Improved sanitation is a household with its own sanitation system, and the excrement is either safely transported away or safely managed on site. So in the past 30 years, more than 2.6 billion people have gained access to that. Revolutionary. Yes, because I I have this thing that triggers me that people who know me... <laughs> They do when people will talk about the good old days or people talk about how the world has gone to hell. It's like, well, how can you not be in a state of anxiety considering how the world is falling apart around us? And that is such a statement of extreme privilege because me and my friends, no doubt, like what's happened with the job market and all sorts of things there, you know, in America and in our class of America, no doubt. Doubt. I totally understand why you think the world is worse than it was 10, 15, however many years ago. But if you were to rewind the world to just 1990, not 1890, 1990, right. like, you know, like the year before Nirvana's Nevermind came out, it's, <laughs> you would be taking away toilets and flushing toilets from 2.6, some 2.7 billion people, billion Billion yeah. with with the letter B, as in, like, twenty five percent of the world or thirty percent of the world, you would be taking their toilets away, and if you tried to live just one week without one, you would realize this would be like, oh, this has totally ruined my life. That that's how many people who used to have to poop uh, out in the open in a field and a ditch and a hole and an outhouse and somewhere, yeah, 
have access to what we now consider some kind of modern sanitation, either a flush toilet or something that actually transports it away and is not constantly making them sick and their home and their neighborhood or whatever does not constantly stink of human feces. The rate at which mankind is solving problems in the background is mind-boggling, but you just don't see it because this occurred in India and in Africa and in China. And there are still, there's still like two point some billion people who I think you still don't have modern sanitation. And the fact that we are going to get it to them over the next few, you know, few decades is a miracle. What has occurred is already a miracle. Yeah. And it's also like even more impressive than 2.6 billion people sounds because from 1990 to 2015, according to the World Bank, uh, from 1990 to 2015, the world population increased by 2.08 billion but in that same period, we provided 2.17 billion people, which is a little bit more with improved sanitation. So like this, this huge leap in the amount of people who have it is even beating population growth by a little bit. Sanitation often sewers is meeting them. It's doing the job. Yeah, I think there's some part of our mind that rejects the idea that we are one of 7 billion people on the planet. I think that can be like pretty depressing, especially to Americans and like people who kind of grew up in a world of individualism. And there's also a way to take it that that's absolutely inspiring that there's, you know, millions of people who were like the Da Vinci's of their local sewer systems who like, you know, made, <laughs> made ingenious yeah. uh, decisions and design uh, flourishes that made it possible for people to have better lives and died, you know, without a, a single plaque to their name. And our modern world is just a, a carpet made of these millions of achievements by millions of people that we've just forgotten about, but that, you know, they're, it's inspirational and they're, uh, you know, coming up with inspiring ideas all the time that we just don't know about. Yeah, exactly. And unless you live in London, cause we said the name Jon Snow earlier, like you don't, you don't know who helped <laughs> put a sewer or, or sanitation in your city. I have no idea. Like it's, it's right. just a, yeah. a background helper who, especially if you live outside the U.S., has maybe done some like big leaps in your country. It's really cool. And it's also uh, a situation that is tricky in a lot of countries. The, as, as Jason said, there's still a lot of people lacking improved sanitation. World Health Organization says about 2.4 billion people still lack it. Uh, but we'll have a, a graph linked from our world and data where they lay out this data and I feel like it's really compelling. You just see there's a red chunk at the bottom, which is people who don't have access to sanitation, and then just this massively increasing blue iceberg of people who do have it since 1990, since, you know, like a lot of a lot of us were alive. Like we, we, were, we were around for this year, even if we were very little. And it's it's all happened. It's great. And you could get equal graphs that look just like that for access to electricity, access to clean water, access to shelter, a whole bunch of things. We have outpaced population growth in getting stuff to people. There's another couple billion people who have the electricity. Like we complain about like broadband access in America and speeds. There's, you know, there's a huge chunk of the world that was still in the dark. They did not have electricity. Yeah. That have it, you know, we think of a, a town getting its first electricity, something happened in the, somewhere in the 1800s. 
But in that, in this last 30 years, we've had an explosion again across the developing world of people getting their first electricity. This is something that is not reported enough because if you are an angry revolutionary, it's like, ah, it's time to just burn this whole system down and start over. It's like, well, ask the people who just got electricity first if they are okay with that. Right. Ask the people right. who are just now, in, like in so much of China where people are getting their first paved roads to their village, you know, because in China you have very different parts of the country. You have mega sprawling mega cities, and then you've got these very isolated, you know, countryside places that basically are have no connection to them. It's like these people are seeing paved roads for the first time, the internet for the first time. It's it's uh, you know, it's look look outside. If you pretend to care about like people who aren't white, then look at the whole world and realize how many of them are actually advancing really, really well right now. Uh, and because their, you know, technology has finally reached them and given them these things that we just take for granted. Because again, who, who, who takes, who gets up and is like thankful for their electricity? Who's thankful for the fact that their toilet flushes every time, aside from me when I was a kid? You don't <laughs> right. think about it. It's on, you're on this treadmill if you get a thing and then you take it for granted. But man, they're still... There's still so many that don't have it even now. Like that's, and it is. It's also a thing where there are people in countries like the U.S. who lack these things, and it's just not talked about very much. Like, well, Link, uh, I'm I'm thinking of Texas because they've had power grid trouble lately and a few months ago, and and I like now they're very aware of what ERCOT is, and and it's it's such a chore to have to know about your power company. I feel like that means something went wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a great piece in The Atlantic by Alana Samuels where she writes about Colonia neighborhoods, which are low-income housing, and they were specifically built by developers on land outside city limits where there weren't regulations, and so they didn't have to provide basic stuff. And as of now, around 500,000 people live in over 2,000 Colonia neighborhoods, and most of them lack stuff like running water and sewer systems. Because there are there are... I feel like we've kind of solved the technology and the process of sewers. We also just need to solve the political and organizational thing where uh, some people just get left out of that system in a way that is totally avoidable. We figured it out. You know, we, we did it. Yeah. And in America, if you don't pay your water bill, they will turn off water to your home. And then you now don't have a toilet anymore because it depends on right. flushing water. So this is... With everything that we just, like, there's a reason we followed this up with what we just said about access around the world. The fact that this still goes on in America is inexcusable. But you could go back to where the town I grew up in and absolutely find, like, I could walk you to a house where people are living without sanitation because they've had their water cut off or they're just squatting in a property that no one like, no one knows they're there. But because they don't, they're not supposed to live there, there's no utilities hooked up. So, you know, they may be running using a generator run power, but they have no way of, you know, they can get drinking water. They can buy bottles of it from the store, but that doesn't get them a working toilet. So this is the part, again, because we don't like to talk about toilet stuff as you know, part of our everyday conversation. The fact that this is part of what extreme poverty means in America, it's something that should be on everyone's mind because it's one thing that I feel like it's very visceral because because you can see an extremely poor person or even a homeless person like, oh, well, that guy's smoking cigarettes and drinking an energy drink. You know, like I wish I could just hang out and do that all day. It's like, OK, where is that person using the bathroom? Stop. Stop and think. Right. 
yeah, and drink again, energy drink. You need to use the toilet immediately. Like he's he's gonna have to solve this soon. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But they'll even do like this uh, very dehumanizing thing because I know in LA, you guys are probably aware of this. There was the big controversy over the homeless encampment, I guess, in Echo Park, where they they had, they came and like forced everyone out and bulldozed it. But then there's these news stories that come out, and it's like very dehumanizing because it's like, well, they had to clean up hundreds of pounds of human waste and human feces from this whole, like, look how disgusting these people are. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're missing the point. You're anyone who tries to romanticize, like, ah, you know, we're just hanging out under the bridge here. You know, we got our tents and we're just. It's like, okay, if you, you don't truly understand poverty until you understand what's left behind when that gets cleaned up and why they were forced to live there and why they were forced to live like that. that that's a key part of it that you can't, you can't put out of your mind just because no one ever likes to think about it. The people who measure this stuff as far as who has improved sanitation, they also say the worst system is what's called open defecation which is like what those homeless folks had to do where you just poop in fields, forests, open water instead of a toilet. And there's a joint UNICEF World Health Organization program that monitors world water supply and sanitation. They say that as of 2015, about 15% of the world still practices open defecation. But that's great news because it means we've cut that number in half since 1990. Since wow. 1990, we've reduced it by half all the way down to 15%. And that's life-changing for all of those people. If you're in a community with open defecation, there's a lot more diseases, worse outcomes in pregnancy. Um, we'll also link a book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, where she talks about rural places in South Asia where women travel in groups to open defecate because they know that predatory men will like target women who are defecating for assault. So that's a, you know, if you have a toilet and a sewer system, that's salt. There, that's it's or at least that risky situation is no longer a situation. Yeah, and there's a YouTube video I posted about like the problem with people openly defecating on beaches in in India. Oh, yeah. um, because again, they do it because the, the tide comes in and washes it away. So it's like at least it's it's like a, a field that flushes itself. But I feel like people watch that video or hear stories like you just told, and you. It's very dehumanizing because you want to see these people as animals if you are lucky enough to not have lived in that, okay? So there's this thing where it's like, oh my gosh, it's just this man. He's just sitting there pooping on a beach. And can you imagine being that type of person? It's not a personality type. There's this thing among certain people and not even necessarily conservatives, but certain people who are afraid of foreigners, their whole thing is that they're dirty. It's like they're bringing in diseases. I think this is a Trump line. That guy, they're bringing in these weird diseases. This is what a lot of us were nervous about with when the COVID outbreak and it came from China, like this turning into this whole, ah, see, see, the Chinese are filthy. This is, when you talk about improving sanitation, you have to overcome people's, like these prejudices. It's like, well, these, these people just, they just poop anywhere. And it's like, well, if you didn't, if you don't have any specific place to go, if you don't have that infrastructure, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how it happens. It's no one's doing it as a preference. 
you moron. <laughs> they're doing it. They're doing it because you get into a situation where you're trying to find the least bad solution. Yeah, it's a type of xenophobia that doesn't get talked about as much. Uh, it, where it's like, oh my gosh, I visited there and the whole place just stank. It just stinks so bad. And they mean it as like, well, these jerks. They don't even. They don't even freshen the air in their city. <laughs> what, what savages they are! It's like, okay. It's, it's definitely not because several million people all had to move there because that was the only place where they could get work. And then they just, they moved into an apartment that doesn't have a flushing toilet. And so they just went, Yeah, they did the only thing they could do. It's, anyway. But speaking of modern sewers, I think we can get into takeaway number two for the show. Takeaway number two. We are filling modern sewers with fatbergs. And I'd never heard of fatbergs before researching this, but we'll we'll talk pretty quickly about a thing that is building up and growing inside the modern sewers of the world. Yeah, and this comes from Greece, like putting Greece in the like down the drain, which is definitely something I have done or almost done multiple times with like I yeah. did not realize that this was such a just I don't know. It doesn't feel like it is uh, warned against enough. And like when you're growing up, do not pour grease down the sink or you will be creating fatbergs. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been. There should be like big labels on meat or something like, hey, when you're done cooking this, you got to you got to do something here because fat and grease and flushable wipes in particular will form just a mountain of those things in a sewer now. They can break pipes and block toilets. They require entire teams of sewer workers to haul them out. The stories describe like candy bar wrappers and other trash like agglomerating onto it. But the core is just used fat and grease. Uh, National Geographic says, for example, somebody might pour molten turkey fat down a drain, which you're never warned not to do that I can think of in my life. Right. You just do it. I remember my grandma like putting it in a can and putting that out in the trash and like giving me some words that I totally forgot. Uh, but yeah, I feel like it's one of those old school pieces of wisdom that we were just like, yeah, whatever. Um, and now we are, uh, ruining our sewers and ruining the good name of the fast food restaurant fat burger. Um, cause I will never <laughs> okay. think about that restaurant oh, no. the same way again. I- I actually want to rewind because we're using the term fatberg without seeing it on print. I don't know if you, the listeners realize it's an iceberg yes. made of <laughs> made of fat and sewage and flushable wipes and used condoms. And when I say <laughs> iceberg, I don't know if you're picturing how big these are, but Alex, you have you have the measurements for one of them, right? Yeah, at very it's yeah b e r g like an iceberg and. 2017, real landmark day for London. Uh, in September of 2017, workers discovered one of the biggest fatbergs ever seen in the East End neighborhood of Whitechapel in London. It measured more than 800 feet long, weighed an estimated wow. 130 metric tons, and the story describes it as the size of 11 double-decker buses. So that just one thing of fat grease, flushable wipes, used condoms, other stuff that people throw into their pipes just filled up a sewer and when they found it uh, there's a london utility provider in 2013 had found a fatberg that they said was the biggest they'd ever found and then this one in 2017 was 10 times the size of that 
I mean, 800 feet is like three blocks. Like yeah, it's, I that. it's massive. It's so <laughs> yeah. I like I know that London likes to use double decker buses for everything, uh, for all their right. converging units, but it's pretty <laughs> it's uh it's not just the size of like a handful of cars, it is like the size of uh yeah, blocks and blocks of buildings. It's massive. Yeah, it's a kaiju, more or less. So yeah, very yeah, slow yeah, and exactly. inactive kaiju uh, under yeah. the sewers. <laughs> And and I know we're talking about Britain a lot, but also the New Yorker says that this is a huge U.S. thing as well. The term fatbergs was coined by London sewer workers who found these things. Uh, in the U.S., people first used the term FOG, which is an acronym for fat, oil, and grease. And occasionally they call it FROGS if it's fat, roots, oil, and grease. National Geographic says that New York City did a 2016 State of the Sewers report and said they had spent $18 million in the past five years just clearing out fatbergs. So multiple millions of dollars every year. They also say grease causes 71% of sewer backups. I think we have more meat than ever, we have more grease than ever, and it's just really jamming up our sewers in a way that is unprecedented. And now let's all pause for a moment and realize that in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, yeah. The entire concept is a series of reptiles eating greasy pepperoni pizza in a sewer. Mm. <laughs> that is, if you think about it, grosser than anything that's ever been come up with in a horror movie. Right? <laughs> Where it's like these these mutant turtles like happily eating pizza next to this drifting fatberg in the New York City sewers. <laughs> Uh, because again, I know that we instinctively think, well, sewer, of course, is dirtier or whatever, but we still kind of have this maybe romanticized view of, well, you could go down there and, and have an adventure. And I'm sure you could for a while, as Jack will tell you. Uh, but in the specifically the New York City system with that many people, uh, you know, uh, flushing that much grease. So again, it's grease mixed with poop but the grease the issue is that the grease is sticky and it doesn't dissolve right right so just basically imagine you know it, like what's left in a deep fryer after it solidifies it's got all the bits of stuff in it that you dump out and then that mixed with a whole bunch of feces and toilet paper and flushable wipes and condoms uh and everything else that finds itself its way into i'm guessing there's a bunch of dead rats that get swallowed up in there probably sure. because they climb on it and then they just can't get out it's really the worst thing you can imagine, period. Yeah. That it's so kind of ironic to me that it is the result of us with this mentality that when I flush it, it vanishes from the universe. Like anything that I put <laughs> down a drain, it's, it's, it's literally, it's so much someone else's problem that I've never given it a second thought. It's like, well, hold on. If this solidifies in my own drain or if this is like what? becomes of it once I, I wash it down the sink or, or whatever? And the answer is we don't think about it. It's just somebody somebody is surely taking care of it. And it's like, yes, they are, to the point that they have to stop and break apart huge chunks of pipes and dig up stuff and spend millions and millions of dollars cutting up this fatberg and hauling it out of the sewer. Because again, they can't just flush it. They're at the end. They're at the end of the line. <laughs> they don't have, there's not some other fl sewer they can flush it into. The so they don't toilet. have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Ten is guys a, pulling the one big handle to flush it. Like, come on, yeah. come on. So, 
<laughs> There's got to be such an existential thing with like being at the end of the someone else's problem chain. Right. <laughs> And it's like, oh, we're there's no place else to pass this off to. <laughs> yeah. I will say that the giant rats I met down in the sewer were much less wise than Splinter. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and I, I really like getting into the, the guts of this and being fascinated by it. Because this, this Fatberg thing in particular is new. Like, this is one of the few new sewer things in a long time. And the the experts that National Geographic and The New Yorker talked to said that the U.S. and the U.K. are the main countries for them. And it's because of aging sewer systems, more fat and trash from growing populations, more meat access. And then the other newest thing is flushable wipes. They are often sold as flushable, but the poorly built ones do not really dissolve. And then they're perfect fatberg builders and they uh, mess up an entire sewer system for a whole city. Yeah, there's a fascinating little war going on between the manufacturers of those wipes and the makers of sewer systems. Because I don't, I don't doubt that a brand new house in a brand new part of the city in a brand new addition, like maybe they have wider pipes or whatever. But anything that's been built a while ago, as many homes are, is going to have tend to be smaller pipes. They tend to have a lot of roots that make their way into them because at that depth, you know, like roots seek out water and they can like you have these thread like roots that basically partially clog every every sewer line. And then the grease basically just coats the wall of a sewer line over the years. So any kind of like any house out in the suburbs, out in the country or whatever that's been around for a while, if you were to look at its sewer line, it has layers of grease that probably go back 50 years on there. Yeah. So then you introduce something like a flushable wipe that maybe in theory would be okay, that if they dissolve, they don't dissolve fast enough. And this is making tons of work for our plumbers and sewer workers and everybody else around the country because they just, if you've got a sticking point in a pipe or a kink or a bend, when it flushes, it will get caught on that. And that wipe will just sit there and absorb every sticky thing you flush down. But in general, I don't, I guess I don't people, I don't think people realize any solid thing that isn't toilet paper that you flush, whether you're talking about, I, I keep mentioning condoms. This is something that when we did articles about crack with people who worked in sewers, something they mentioned a lot that condoms keep, like they find their way into the drains because, well, that's where we put stuff. And they're like, yeah, we just had to fish those out and put them in trash bags and send them off to the landfill. It's like anything solid you flush that doesn't dissolve, that's what becomes of it. It gets filtered out. There's literally just a metal screen that catches solid objects at the sewage plant. And then somebody comes out with like a, a rake or something and just gets it all off there, puts it in a trash <laughs> bin, and sends it off to the landfill. So it's like if yeah. you don't put it in the trash and you insist on flushing it instead, it just winds up in the same place only through a much more difficult route and probably doing millions of dollars in damage to the system along the way. And it's the same thing with the plumbers hate those garbage disposals in kitchen sinks. Because it's like, well, you, you, mm. you put the food down the thing, you turn that on, and it grinds it up. And, and that those garbage disposals are like a distinctly American invention, I think. But they are a nightmare for your sewer system because it's just solid food that's been chewed up somewhat. But your sewage and drainage system is not meant to handle that. And sure enough, at the other end of it, 
ultimately is some guy scraping it off a screen and putting it in a bag and, and putting yeah. it on a truck to be hauled away. There's not like some magical thing they do that makes it go away. They, if you don't throw it away, they have to. Yeah, man. I'm, man. I'm throwing turkey legs down that thing. I'm throwing, oh, man. <laughs> I, should, I really got to <laughs> rethink and, entire and pineapples. Uh, <laughs> and the first time I put a condom down a garbage disposal, everybody else, everybody else at the party was looking at me like, who raised you? <laughs> but it's like, isn't that what it's for? <laughs> well, there's a, there's one last takeaway for the main episode. And it's got to be real brief, but takeaway number three A bunch of the world's cities created a sewer by assimilating a stream. And I, I pick the verb assimilating because it's I think of almost like the Borg in Star Trek, like turning something into a totally different machine. If, if you look at far too many cities for us to run through all of them, most cities have like gotten their starter sewer by just using a stream as that and then later turning it into the sewer system of the city. One, uh, one prime example of it is Sydney, Australia. And Sydney Living Museums offers a tour of what's called the Tank Stream twice a year. And the Tank Stream used to be a regular stream, and it's been used by humans for at least 5,000 years, according to archaeological digs. It was used by the Gadigal people to get fresh water and fish. And then British colonists used it for fresh water. That's why they built Sydney there. And then from there, they turned it into a sewage system. They also built tanks to collect the water. That's why it's called the tank stream. But there's been so much human development now that they paved the sides of it, put sandstone blocks over the top of it, turned it into a stormwater drain. It now runs through the central business district of Sydney, and parts of it are a channel on the ceiling of an underground parking garage. Like Sydney took this tiny little stream that a few people got water and fish from, and now it's in the central, central sewer system of a world city, a giant place. I wonder if that's probably, I think that's probably what the stream slash sewer system I was exploring, how that functioned. Because there was definitely pipes emptying into the stream. Um, so I will definitely have some illness when I'm in my 70s from uh, <laughs> playing in people's waste when I was nine years old. Oh, you mentioned like brown bits and moss and stuff. Like it sounds like maybe there was a stream there, and then Dayton was like, "Here we go. It's already it's already flowing. We just wrap it up. Great." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this is common in other cities too. Uh, quick other examples are Washington D.C. Um, it's famous for the Potomac, but it's less famous for taking, among other waterways, something called Tiber Creek, that follows the contours of an old creek that ran into the Potomac. And the Washington Post has done amazing stuff on it becoming uh, just fully paved over and paved on top of and turned into part of the sewer system uh, in order to handle D.C.'s waste. Chicago did a larger version with the Chicago River, which they used for sewage and have also reversed the direction of a couple of times. And, and then going all the way back to the beginning of the episode, ancient Rome, it's famous for the Tiber River, but it also has a little creek that was the first part of the Cloaca Maxima sewer system. So even that thousands of years ago sewer uh, started as a little creek, and then they paved the bottom, paved the top, made it part of how they pump waste out of the city. The Chicago system 
it could be an entire series of documentaries and podcasts all by itself. And I don't, it probably is at, at this point, but it's the whole story there, the sheer achievement and the sheer feat of what they did. And yeah, because again, humans actually, contrary to what you may have observed recently, pretty good at solving problems. Uh, <laughs> and when we have to come together and fix things, we tend to do. And the story of the Chicago, their whole system and how they had to change it over time and the problems they were trying to solve and the difficulties and all of the many, many, many hurdles that had to be overcome. It is uh, spectacular. And, and you can look at a, a photo of it now and it's beautiful. And uh, it, it, did not, it did not look like that. If yeah. you're the type of person who's just sure that the world is constantly falling apart and you picture the future and you can only imagine like an apocalypse... Go back to Chicago a hundred years ago and ask them to ask, like, what will the future look like? And they would probably say, well, it'll be like this, only way higher mountains of poop. <laughs> but if you can actually show them the Chicago <laughs> River now and the riverfront developments and all that, it's it's beautiful. And that's because people made it that way. Yeah, Chicago Chicago's the kind of city where the whole thing burned down in the 1870s. And then they had an arguably worse experience with poop in their river. Like it, it was even less livable, the situation with it. And then they flushed the river instead of into Lake Michigan all the way into the Mississippi River. And then people downstream sued and they lost. And it was it was just this really elaborate and ridiculous project that uh, WTTW has amazing stuff on the PBS there. It was St. Louis sued, right? They were yeah. like, <laughs> like shaking their fist upriver at, at Chicago. Yeah. It's a really good point, though, that the... I think it's just a, la a lack of imagination and not like saying that as a critique, but that we can't imagine the solution to all these problems. We have no idea what the future is going to look like because that, that would mean that we've solved all these problems. And so all we have are the problems that occupy our day-to-day -day life. And we just assume that's going to be the, it's just that, but more so. Yeah. yeah it's not our fault that we don't have uh, all the answers, but. There, there are answers that the smartest people living currently can't imagine to our current problems. I think that's right, yeah. Like, even even probably trying to imagine right now before the internet existed, it's, it was probably very hard. Like, just the, the basic communication infrastructure we all of a sudden have. If you, if you have never heard of that idea and you try to imagine the future, it's like, I guess everyone has amazing phone books now like or they have <laughs> yeah. you know like like the greatest print newspapers ever constructed like that's your idea of the future yeah instead of this yeah and mm -hmm. i guess that's part of someone if you ask somebody to imagine the best possible future like utopia like a star trek utopia where they've got you know star trek had that by they invented a technology that could just produce stuff out of thin air right they have like a machine yeah. that just makes their food <laughs> Right. With no no raw material, it can just do it. And it's like, well, yeah, at some point, maybe, you know, 500 years from now, that thing exists. But here's the thing. If you if that were to come about, that, that society, and you were to fast forward, you know, 300 years and to see people living in that world, what we now consider the dream Star Trek world, where basically everybody has whatever they want, you would still have people walking around saying, man, just burn it all down. <laughs> this this just can't get any worse because their individual situation is one that they hate or are upset with or whatever, or there's a war going on or anything like that. And everyone just kind of adjusts to 
what they have. And so, you know, the fact that their little replicator thing can't make Earl Grey tea quite the way they they like it. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is so stupid. So stupid, this thing. Like, it's always, it's never, it doesn't get it hot enough. It's just, oh, it's just, just burn it all down. It's like, you could, and I, and I know that's true because if you went and grabbed anybody who lived 150 years ago and showed what we're doing today, uh, they would like, what do these people have to be miserable about? Like, what are they, what are they talking about? What are they, what are they, what do they have to be angry about? And it's like, well, all of our reasons for being angry are legit. But there is still that greater context that if we, if they, you try to trade lives with any of those people, even like a very wealthy person from 150 years ago, and then after a month, you're like, okay, let's trade back. They would kill you rather than trade back. (laughs) They would physically murder you to not be sent back to 1854 or whatever in this place that, you know, to, to know to live in a city and not have it smell like feces 24 hours a day and to just know what that's like and then to have to go back to it. Uh, they no, there, there, there's no way. That's why I love subjects like this, because I feel like it's easy to completely forget where you've where you've been. Well, this is where we've been. It used to be forever. Yeah. People, cities endlessly trying to figure out what do we do with the fact that there's like six inches of human waste everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and and you can't just keep and it turns out we can't just shovel it into the the stream <laughs> that right. it turns out that, that in the, the canal they built what did they call it alex the man killer the first one they built in chicago or washington dc which one was that yeah washington dc apparently and this is this is city lab in the washington post even though washington dc was a planned city they didn't plan a sewer they just planned like which way the streets would go and how nice it would look and so then they people were just pooping everywhere. And then they also built a small canal for commercial traffic in 1815 that immediately became a dumping ground and is now part of the sewer system. Like just as soon as people had a little bit of flowing water, they were like, great, that's where my poop goes. Forget it. I don't want to deal yeah. with it. And that canal was called the man killer because they were fishing so many corpses yeah. out of this vast stream of feces that... Okay, so yeah. again, uh, City of Washington D.C. got its own share of problems these days, and I would say they've got a stream of feces known as Congress. <laughs> hey, uh, but it's not. But at least it's it's not that. It's 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 not that. I was just thinking about your hypothetical of like switching places with i feel like if you offered to switch places with the president like from 100 years ago he'd be like yeah sure that's we're good uh i would (laughs) i would switch places with like i'm trying to think of what the future of sewage the will bring us and like if there's a if there's a version of, of the world where like you don't even have to spend any time it just uh J.K. Rowling, uh, Harry Potter style, disappears from inside your body when you have to go to the bathroom, uh, <laughs> and like, and maybe better Wi-Fi. I would trade my family for that, just to <laughs> <laughs> exchange places with someone in the future. Heck yeah, man! Um, Especially, I think even on the internet, one of people's first questions about the apparating in Harry Potter was like, "Do they apparate the poop?" Is that how they get out of there? Right. Like, like yeah. we're, we'd really like an even better way to do it, even though what many of us have is good, you know? 
Like, let's let's mm-hmm. upgrade this. Wait, are, all the are time. we okay? You have to back up. Are we con- treating it as canon that that's how they treated? Is that from the books that they operated oh. the poop away? No, I, I think, think it, it was I think it's what people wondered. J.K. Rowling. Like, it's oh. a regular plumbing I, system, and they were like, "Yes, but could they just do this?" I thought it was one of those things where J.K. Rowling came out after the fact and was answering fan questions and said, oh, no. "Yes, that's how they went to the bathroom." Oh no! Which uh, I'm, I'm going to fire up the device that answers any question I could ever possibly have <laughs> that I use that's completely free. <laughs> that, by the way, they did not have that in Star Trek. Right. Uh, okay. I know. J.K. Rowling, um, <laughs> wizard, poop. Do do do. Uh, yeah. Very very first results came up in Pottermore, the online uh, poop, the online uh, <laughs> the online poop site. Yes. Wizard yeah. wizard thing that and apparently, um, but before adopting mogul plumbing methods in the 18th century, witches and wizards simply relieved themselves wherever they stood and vanished oh. the evidence with magic. She says as a direct quote from the author that is now what canon. Um, and uh, okay. Well, yep. It could, should have made the whole episode about that. <laughs> Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Jack O'Brien and Jason Pargin for so many things. No joke. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff. Available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is sewer alligators. Sewer alligators, a famous myth that has surprising foundations. We'll get into it. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than four dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring sewers with us. Also, wow, that phrasing is interesting this week. Anyway, here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, increased sewer access might be the biggest and best news of the past 30 years. Takeaway number two, we are filling modern sewers with fatbergs. And takeaway number three, a bunch of the world's cities created a sewer by assimilating a stream. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. And I hope these credits feel redundant to you, but but just in case, Jack O'Brien co-hosts the podcast The Daily Zeitgeist with Miles Gray every weekday on iHeartRadio. Jason Pargin's newest book is entitled Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. That's written under the soon-to-be-retired pen name David Wong. We'll also link Jack and Jason's Twitter accounts and and just other stuff that springs to mind for me. But, uh, you know, I, I there are, the guests that you hear on this show a lot, that you hear often, are people who are, you know, pretty, pretty foundational. And I'm very grateful to them. So I, I really hope you will go ahead and check out what they're doing and get into it, uh, you know, if you have not before. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. 
a great aggregated data set on, on modern sewers and sanitation that's coming from the World Bank and the World Health Organization and UNICEF. It's, it's kind of aggregated and visualized really well on a site called Our World in Data, and that's a wonderful project from the University of Oxford. Also got two great sources that were central to the section on fatbergs, a National Geographic article called Huge Blobs of Fat and Trash Are Filling the World's Sewers, written by Erica Engelhaupt, and then a New Yorker article called A Fatberg's Journey from the Sewer to the Museum of London, that's written by Sam Knight. And I could go on and on about the last thing we talked about, where cities assimilate a stream, turn it into a tiny sewer over time. Sydney, Australia, their water department and their city museums are great sources about them that we've got linked. Also linking to stuff about Washington, D.C. and Chicago and Rome as four examples of this this worldwide city thing. Find those links and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks goes to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. I hope you love that special digital art from Adam Coford, too. You know, it, it should be in your Patreon right now. I am, I am so glad you're here, whether you've been here from episode one or from yesterday. I, I, I'm... It's a huge honor that you you feel like this is entertainment worth supporting. And so uh, thank you. It's been honestly kind of overwhelming in a, in a positive way to have so many of you become become backers of this show in such a short period of time. And I'm still kind of processing it. Mainly very, very glad about it. And the other thing I think about it is let's keep making more podcasts. This is a really fun show to do and there's more coming. So. I am I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with the 51st episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs> <laughs>